It's time once again for another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Emily Rowell. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Atlanta Legal Experts Radio Show. I am your host, Emily Rowell, with Peachtree Offices. We have a bright and cheery morning this morning. Everybody's singing and ready to go. I think we have enough coffee passed around. What do you think? <laughs> um, today, we do have some awesome legal experts. We filled the room this morning again. We are we have uh, Shantavia Johnson with Jackson Johnson, LLC. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Great. Thank you. And you'll be discussing today intellectual property and entrepreneurship fantastic that's interesting i can't wait to hear we also have wally nichols with wr nichols and associates pc and good morning good morning emily how are you i'm fantastic thank you for being here i'm, I'm glad to be here i'm glad that alabama happened to win the <laughs> game last night that was uh, a good one because i'm still getting over that late <laughs> hour in this early morning but sure. anyway nice to be here thanks for having me have some more coffee <laughs> and i also have Uzo Akpele with Akpele and Associates. Good morning, Uzo. Good morning. How's it going? Fantastic. We're so glad you're here. I'm happy to and be here. And if you'll tell me what you'll be discussing this morning. I'll talk about immigration law and its different intersections with other areas of the law. Fantastic. I'm so glad to have you. And we are going to mention our sponsors. Oh, Craig. Oh, yeah. You're here. Good I'm morning. Here. Yes, I am here. <laughs> My co-host. I'm so sorry. No, no worries. No worries. <laughs> Craig Williams. And we also have Rich Casanova in the background with Pro Business Channel. Absolutely. And neither one of us, by the way, for legal reasons, are attorneys. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even play one on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, we get a lot of legal advice. This is an amazing show. For, and uh, welcome to Atlanta Legal Experts. Absolutely. Thank and you. I also want to say thank you to our sponsors. We have 3A Law Practice Management helping attorneys start and grow their practice. We have Atlanta's own John Marshall Law School, and we have Peachtree Offices, helping attorneys become established in the Atlanta area. You can find all of the logos and links to their sites on our website at atlantalegalexperts.com. So thank you to those folks, and thanks to everybody again for tuning in this morning. And we're going to start with Shantavia Johnson. And Shantavia serves the world as an intellectual property attorney and entrepreneur. Let me start that over again. Shantavia Johnson serves the world as an intellectual property attorney and entrepreneurship consultant. Her passion is helping entrepreneurs create and grow businesses. She is the founder of Freedom and Business Academy, which provides premier business development programs and the owner of Jackson Johnson LLC, an innovative law firm for startups and entrepreneurs. She also serves as a law professor at Drake University Law School, where she teaches intellectual property and entertainment law. So they kind of go hand in hand, I bet. Oh, they do. Often. Yeah. Oftentimes. So tell me a little bit how you got started. So I actually was teaching law, and people would call me with these intellectual property questions all the time. And I had some students who were starting businesses and who were entertainers. And I thought, well, hmm, this is an interesting concept here. I could teach law and also help people start and grow businesses. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so it was just a natural transition for me. That's fantastic. And tell me um, a little bit more about your law firm and that you're also a consulting firm. 
Right, so essentially what we do at the law firm and then also through my consulting is help people go from their ideas and creations to really creating a company to support that idea, helping them protect their intellectual property and then also really through the capitalization phase of their companies. I love that. So you're actually making their dreams come true. I like to think of myself as a dream catcher. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So um, going into this the, a new business, mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, what are some tips you can give um, first, some, some positive things they could do? Mm -hmm. So the first thing really I think is being clear about the vision. A lot of people have an idea and they want to start incorporating and getting contracts and all that, but they don't really have a clear vision of where they'd like to go in the company, what mm -hmm. the point is, is it to sell, is it to create something that is going to be an empire for a hundred or two hundred years. And so I think one of the most important things before you call me or any other lawyer is to really think about the vision of the company and then work backwards from there. So that's that. one thing. That's really helpful. Yeah, the other thing, I, 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 I guess the overlap too in entertainment, especially in music, uh, musicians, they write songs. That's part of their intellectual property too as well. Right. You're, you're so right about that. In fact, one of the most important things to think about, regardless of who you are, is if you are creating things, you probably have some ownership in that. And so at every step with a lot of the clients I work with, they don't realize even that they have intellectual property. If it comes out of your brain, you may have something there that that's should the, be very valuable. That's the challenge of the creative mind. You know, we do it for our passion, mm -hmm. whether it's art or what have you, and we mm -hmm. don't take ownership because we really want to share it with the world. It's our way of visually communicating our thoughts, mm -hmm. our right. dreams, and our goals, but it is an intellectual property, and you need to protect it, or somebody else will take it. That's exactly right. There's nothing wrong with helping the world and helping yourself at the same time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, how can they actually inexpensively protect their brands? Oh, so excellent question. So another thing people don't realize, and so thank you for this question about entertainers and creating things, is particularly with copyrights and trademarks, you can start protecting your intellectual property for free. In the United States, copyright protection is free. You can, without registering anything, really start to build ownership in the things, the works of authorship that you create, books, drawings, uh, uh, music, that type of thing. With trademarks also, we have something called common law trademark protection. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to start to acquire your trademark rights. Now, it's helpful at some point to register and that type of thing, mm -hmm. but you can very cheaply start marking the things you create with the trademark symbol, the copyright symbol, hmm. and start to acquire intellectual property rights. I never knew that. So you do encourage them to look at it. It's all relative though, right? Yep. Because, you know, it could cost you a lot to not have ownership too. So if you go at it looking at at it, uh, I don't want to pay anything for this service or this to, to protect myself, we have to look at it from that perspective too. Oh, of course. You get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it's a good start, but it certainly is not the final step. It's just a way for startups and entrepreneurs who are really in the early stages and maybe can't afford an expensive lawyer to start protecting intellectual property, but not, again, as you point out, not the end-all be-all, but a way to get started. So tell me, um, if you, what is one of the biggest mistakes an, an entrepreneur could make for, in, for their intellectual property? 
not realizing they have any, number one. And then also, once they uh, go down the road of protecting intellectual property, I've been very surprised by how many people are afraid of enforcing their intellectual property through, for example, telling a person, hey, you can't use that. It belongs to me. It's a little uncomfortable. There's no intellectual property police. You are the police for your intellectual property. And so you do have to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes with people who might be infringing your own intellectual property. Or they can hire you. They should hire me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As I was about to say, don't you consult? Yeah, yeah. Lead them down the path. That's exactly Let right. Them, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> well, I've got people. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so now we've got an inventor who has a new invention, and they think it's something really good, and they don't think it exists elsewhere. Mm -hmm. What's the first step they could take? Um, so, so with inventions, unlike patents, unlike trademarks and copyrights, with patents you do have to register your invention with the federal government. Mm -hmm. So one of the most important things to do is keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody about this thing you've invented until you're very clear on whether or not you have something protectable and whether or not you want to pursue patent protection for that particular invention. So being very, very careful about not disclosing components of the invention that could be useful down the line. Okay, okay. I like that. Now, tell me, uh, what kinds of consulting services do you offer? Um, essentially, what I have been doing for about 10 years or so is helping people with ideas go from an idea to a well-formed company that takes into consideration these intellectual property concerns before they get too far down the road and you know make very expensive mistakes. So really working with people from the very early stages of, hey, the light bulb just went off. What do I do with all mm -hmm. of this? That's wonderful. So how do these people get in touch with you? Well, so on Twitter and Instagram, my both my handle on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram is Shantavia J-E-S-Q. They can email me at Shantavia at Shantavia.com. Pretty easy. And they can find me on my law firm's website, JacksonJohnsonLaw.com. So that's S-H-O-N-T-A-V-I-A. Yes, ma'am. Shantavia. Shantavia. You spell that like that was your name. I used to do other Thank names you, like that. You're good. <laughs> You're the first person who's done it right. <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here this morning. We really enjoyed having you, and most likely we'll listen. We'll look forward to having you back. Thank you very much, Emily, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you are listening to Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host. Host, I'm your host. Well, this is host. the house, and you are the host of the house. Yes. So that was, that was all right. House. Very good. In Peachtree offices. There you go. <laughs> so we have Mr. Wally Nichols. Good morning. Good morning. Wally. How are you today? Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. And we have. Uh, he focuses on estate planning um, and protecting people. Uh, you began practice in 1992. Correct. And you were in general general litigation with a concentration in family law at the time. That's right. Yeah, I, I cut my teeth on uh, on dysfunctional families. <clears throat> so, um, because I probably at some level most people, uh, uh, whether we, not they want to admit it, come from a dysfunctional family. I did, and so that creates a lot of uh, opportunity uh, in the law uh, and, uh -huh. and and putting things together. Uh, so I learned early on to work with psychologists and. Um, uh, other types of experts uh, and financial planners in that arena, and so uh, I've always been multidisciplinary in my in my uh, 
uh, on degrees as well, but in the practice as well, you learn to be part of a collaborative effort in terms of resolving disputes. So there's other ways to do it than the Johnny Cochran method or uh, just the, um, uh, the the other street uh, type resolutions, you know. So uh, collaborative efforts, probably the best. Yeah, so now you're focusing on the estate planning, which really helps um, those families, whether they're dysfunctional or not. Um, can you tell me like um, what's one of the what's some goals for people when they get started in planning their estate what's one, some tips that they could do what people need to watch out for number one always is the tax man right I mean there's only a, a few things that are certain in life and one of those is taxes mm -hmm. so um, and we know the other we won't make it we're going to stay positive this morning <laughs> yes uh, no, so, uh, so you have tax implications and so that's the first thing that we start looking at a second start, uh, thing that we start looking at is uh, vulnerabilities areas of vulnerability where you exposed and, and, and who could come in uh, bottom line is you want to keep what you've earned, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everything that, that's, that's, that's yours that you've uh, worked so hard for, developing your intellectual property rights and protecting those rights. And then the next uh, step uh, is to be able to uh, stay uh, in in the arena that you're in without worrying about liability exposure. So asset protection is paramount. In estate planning over the last uh, really uh, 10 years, over the last two presidential election cycles, uh, well, like including this one, so uh, we have in my uh, uh, niche of the law and my colleagues have been very concerned about the tax law changing and creating exposure in terms of the estate planning aspect of it. And it didn't. And we really expected that to happen uh, when Mr. Obama ran for re-election last time and, and uh, against Mr. Romney. And we really expected uh, some tax law changes to come out of that. They didn't. Mm -hmm. um, it's not being discussed uh, in this particular election cycle because so many other things are being discussed, yeah. bizarre yeah. things. But it could be, and so the, the ma big two are, are, are tax uh, implications and asset protection. Right now, currently of those, I would say asset protection is the driver. Because you want to be able to provide what you've earned to the right people. Correct. And uh, there's a number of different ways to do that. In my particular family, uh, and, and I've written a book uh, on this, uh, we call it, I called it Pack a Sweater, uh, because uh, did, don't you remember when you, when you were a, a, a child, your mom always told you if you're going to leave on a trip, don't forget to pack a sweater, because you never know if the weather's going to change, right? <laughs> so I chose that as opposed to wear clean underwear, because that's the other thing that she said. <laughs> <laughs> you well, you do wear clean. Up. I do. Everybody does, but you don't want to call your book. Uh, can't speak for everybody, but yeah, because yeah, 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 you never know what's going to happen, right? That's the one. So, uh, in my particular uh, instance, uh, and this is this is uh, I'm a statistic, and that's that's why I start the book off as is I'm a statistic, and this is the first time in American history uh, that our society has had to address the issue of two generations in a long-term care facility simultaneously. And that's yeah. that's the big uh, expenditure. That's the big uh, yeah. problem that our society has to address moving forward beyond budget deficits and, and, and state budget uh, crises are, is the fact of how do we pay for long-term care? I had uh, a brother uh, who uh, was in, in long-term care and, uh, and, and 
and uh, an extended terminal illness, mm-hmm. as well as my father in mm-hmm. long-term care. And it has been it's for so several years. so sad because a lot of people say, well, I have enough money for that. But why would you want to waste your money on that? Why not protect, you know, fund your long-term care and use the money that you've saved up for the things that you wanted to in the beginning? Which is primarily legacy. Uh, that's what most people mm-hmm. want to do. I mean, my father and Congress recognized this aspect in 1965. And the president, then President Lyndon Johnson, signed this into law in 1965. And the whole goal was to protect middle-class Americans from having losing their legacy uh, due to the extended expenses of a long-term care or last illness. And so there are certain measures that you can do. It's all legal. It's all, it, it, it sounds too good to be true, but for once, Congress actually did something in 1965 that enabled us to do certain things. You can pass on uh, your legacy to your children or, or your heirs as you as you planned, and then there's still provisions available to pay for a skilled nursing facility. So would you say that you said two generations ago, it seems like they had some insight that we, we may live longer, um, uh, but they didn't make the precautions. Maybe it was because they were looking more at retirement than uh, extended care and the possibility of health I mean, be, us being able to live past what we expected. Exactly, and a very astute question. Thank you. It's the um, it'll, it'll never happen to me syndrome. It happens to somebody of else. Course, yeah. yeah. And so, what happens in my in my father's generation? They they expected to die. They planned to die, and all of a sudden, we got all this medical technology, and we don't die. We don't linger. Darn it. We linger. We linger. <laughs> so, so the good news is you're going to be around. The bad news is it's going to cost gonna be you. <laughs> you're going to be around. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be around. So, and, and to be around, it costs you. So, so that's what we do. So that's a different. That's a whole different area of estate planning, uh, rather than what people generally think of wills. Okay. So what did you just say? You're planning to die, right? Your yeah. will doesn't kick until you die. Yeah. And so the plan to... We want things to help us while we're still here. Exactly. Yeah. So the plan to live is generally through uh, some sort of a trust, some sort of uh, uh, a living trust is either be revocable or irrevocable. And those are the things that we uh, that we talk about when a client comes in our office uh, uh, is what we do with that. And everything is attorney-client uh, confidential and privileged. So people must come in with the ability to feel open and share and be honest with us, share the, uh, everything. And it's generally, uh, and that's where the litigation comes in, is how these things are drafted down the road. Biggest competition right now is the internet, LegalZoom. Everybody wants, they think of estate planning as a document. Yeah. It's not a piece of paper. I've, I've, I've personally litigated with people that uh, just our side of the case that was $50,000 in attorney's fees because of a conjunction and a semicolon, perhaps in the wrong place, and uh, LegalZoom doesn't do that for you. So robots aren't the cure-all. Right. For I'd our rather society. have somebody that knows what they're doing over some website. I mean, especially when it comes to my family, and my yeah, life, yeah. and their lives. And it's generally going to be worth more to you uh, at the end of the day than one hundred ninety-nine dollars yeah. or five hundred dollars. So right. the bad news is uh, it's expensive. The good news is it's going to work. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I tell you, I just had an aha moment and amidst the experts that we have every week. Um, I look at Nally Legal 
as the side of protection across the board. I mean, we've heard that theme across the board, protection. And, you know, I, I subscribe to that we all come out of uh, dysfunctional families because uh, human beings are involved in the equation. Right, you know, right. And looking at the legal side, that's what the legal industry is for, to protect us from ourselves in, in essence. You excellent, know, so. excellent point. Um, uh, let's uh, make a shout out to and how you how we find out about you and how do we find you yes that's great so i'm all over the internet uh you can find me number one at wrnicholslaw.com that's w-r-n-i-c-h-o-l-s-l-a-w.com i'm also atlanta personal family lawyer.com i create business entities as well as part of the process atlanta creative business lawyer.com you can email me at my initials my name's wallace r nichols so wrn at wrnicholslaw.com 404-602-0040 and where are you located we're 1532 dunwoody village parkway suite 205 uh atlanta 30338 we're right there at dunwoody village i look out my window right now and i see the united states postal service but that's going to change. Yes, it is. <laughs> because uh, uh, gentrification has come to Dunwoody Village, and so they're going to take down these offices, which have been there for quite a while, and it's going to turn into townhomes. So, Well, we can keep updates with your um, website and social media and everything like that. I look forward to coming back and perhaps passing on new information soon. And, of course, that yeah. contact information will be on our show notes as well. Absolutely, yeah. And all the bios of all the guests here today at AtlantaLegalExperts.com. Speaking of... Uh, our sponsors. Our sponsors. That shout-out I threw out earlier. Yes. That's coming back right now. <laughs> uh, that's 3A Law Practice Management, helping attorneys start and grow their practice. Atlanta's own John Marshall Law School and Peachtree Offices, helping attorneys become established in the Atlanta area. That's wonderful. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I am Emily Rowell, your host of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And I have our final expert today, last but definitely not least, we have Uzo Akpele here. Hello. Good morning. Good morning again. Yes. Thank you so much again for being here. She is a lawyer and practices immigration law. That's pretty simple. Yep. <laughs> Starting out. <laughs> she graduated from the University of Georgia School of Law in 2000, and she has been practicing law ever since and has experienced the various, in various areas of immigration law. Say that five times fast. Blah, 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 she just blah. did it, too. You should have saw it. <laughs> so what made you get started in immigration law? Well, I, I fell in love with it. It wasn't my first choice, I would tell you that. But um, in my final semester at law school, I did an externship by some chance at Catholic Social Services. And um, they have a little immigration office there. It's not so little, I, I should say, really. And they helped the poorest of the poor. Mm. get paper there, get legal status in the U.S. I just loved the dedication I saw in the people who worked in that office. They were lawyers, volunteering mostly, but they did that thing with passion. And um, I liked meeting people there because you'd see people who'd come to the U.S., they just become nothing, but maybe there was something in their country. I, I came across people who were doctors, law school, um, college professors in their school, but they'd come to the U.S. and they'd have to start all over. I just liked the inter, uh, inter, interaction with people and 
I liked what they did. And when that time came for me to hang up my shingle, I thought, you know, this is what I would like to do. Mm. And you've helped many, many people since then. I sure have. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me some of, some of the issues that are going on today. And can you can you talk about that and, and what's going on in the immigration world? Well, these days there's been a lot of, uh, a couple changes recently in the way that some of the non-immigrant visa categories are going to be handled. However, in my practice, what I've seen is I've gone from just helping people get legal status to helping them out in life. I was sitting here listening to Sean and Wally and what entertainment law and immigration law have an intersection. Mm -hmm. Succession planning, wills, trust and estate they have an intersection. I'm beginning to meet that, and I'm trying to create new synergies for my law practice and also just to help out my clients better because someone gets her permanent residence in the U.S. You just, you just handed your green card. You have to settle into the U.S., get a job, pay your taxes, do your succession planning because you're now going to live here. When Wally was talking, what I thought was the twist to immigrants and succession planning is that they have some of them still a lot of them still have families in the old country mm-hmm. and sometimes you want to leave a little something for your brother sister cousin parent in the old country and that's the different twist um so my practice is also expanding a little into that area i don't think i'll ever be Mr. Nichols, but I'm now having to learn a little so that at least I can tell them the first few things and then I'll send them off to somebody who is an expert in that area. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm having to synergize. Of course, another area has been the uh, immigration law and criminal law. There's a big intersection there. Mm. And we're finding that very little infractions can send somebody out of the U.S. You have your green card, it's permanent resident, but it's not really permanent. You have to stick um, to the law, really. Mm -hmm. And um, I always advise people, get U.S. citizenship as soon as you're up for it. So those are the things I have been seeing. I've just been seeing what was simply getting a, a new green card blossom into other things. How are you going to live in the U.S.? I'm sure family law as well. Yes. Definitely. Uh, there's a part of immigration law and family law. I've seen it in terms of child welfare law. Sometimes um, non-immigrant kids, they get into the, depend- the juvenile court dependency system and if they and there's kids, little kids who come who are brought into the U.S. without documentation, but there is a way to rescue them Mm-hmm. especially if they fall into dependency. So there's an, inter- there's an intersection between immigration law and different aspects of the law. That has been the most amazing thing I found out. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What, do you, what part of, I mean, that immigration law seems so vast. Uh, is there an area that you focus on most of the time or that you see a lot of repeated uh, need for you to be a part of the equation, put it that way? Um... There's different parts to immigration law, yeah. like you said. Myself, it, it eventually became what parts do you want to kind of step out from? 
so it's like what so you could, don't. I really try, and I and I do. I can do all of them. Yeah. But I decided to just out of well, kind of make my passion Your this niche. Yeah. and that. I I like immigration law and business. I like where they intersect. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, I'm finding that people are coming into the U.S. to make movies in the U.S. They need to set up business. They need to set up their business as um, U.S. businesses. They need to um, protect their intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. And they also need to figure out the visa. So me, I'm trying to get into that area of the law where the... Uh, where there's intersection between immigration and business, helping people settle in. There's ways to get a green card through your business or just to get a non-immigrant work visa to live in the U.S. and work. That I like. Tell me, I've heard in the past um, some of the long wait times to be able to become a citizen. So can you tell me different, the different laws and how long you could wait? That was starting out in the early late 1990s and early 2000s right about about the time when i started it used to be a very long wait you could wait for two years or mm -hmm. almost to get an interview for your green card however the u.s government has really done a good job um shortening those wait like wait times so it's not so long anymore mm -hmm. in my in the most recent past i'm finding that within maybe six months the process could be completed which is a very far cry from what it used to be. waiting for two years mm -hmm. to get um, your green card. So um, that has been the change. Of course, occasionally there's little pockets of delay, mm -hmm. delayed cases here and there. But everything is really, um, everyth th those, those long wait times have been taken care of. And I will tell you this. I always say this, and I, I think i just like to say again, that the U.S., the U United States, has probably has the most welcoming immigration laws in the whole world mm. and that is a verifiable truth that's awesome yeah because you go somewhere else and it, it, it's sometimes in other places that the laws are not so clear they're kind of enforcing them making them upset of upset of the pants but the u.s has it's codified in the constitution and then there's laws to back it up and there's little, little regulations and the policy changes once they see something is not working out a certain way they try they really do try to rectify well that seems like the ethos of this country i mean it started with immigrants so that's uh, i mean that's the blue figures i mean you kind of stick to that i mean and they've been consistent i would say uh to that mm -hmm. yeah. Your favorite case? Can you mention one of your favorite cases that you've helped somebody and their story without obviously mentioning names? It would have to be possibly. I think it's my first, my very first client when I first started out. A young man. He came into the U.S., but he he was running away from his country, hmm. and he was seeking asylum in the U.S. This young man, I, he would have been about 22 at the time. And he came in, although he came in as a tourist, when he came in, he knew he wasn't going back because he ran away from a city. He was running away from a situation in his country. It involved him becoming the tribal chief in place of his grandfather. Because mm. I think on his mother's side, his maternal side, he was royal. His grandfather died and he was picked up next, selected next to be. Mm. their king and he didn't want to do it he said well he didn't, for, for whatever reasons he didn't want to do it and his story was that if he, did, if, he, if he didn't do it 
he'd have to disappear mm. so that somebody else would wow. be could you know get in that line and um, he came into the u.s very i liked his confidence and that was my very first case wow so wow. i walked this case carefully 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 he didn't have any money but just <laughs> <laughs> just being that um i had that had that cat experience at catholic social services that really didn't matter to me sure it's so, worth it mm -hmm. the lessons that you learned i'm sure yes yeah, so we worked this case and there's a network of people who do pro bono things to assist immigration lawyers i got somebody who did the psych evaluation and we prepared the case. Back in the day, you had to travel up to Virginia, Arlington, Virginia, for um, your asylum interview because they don't have, they didn't have asylum, the asylum office here, except for when they did circuit rights. So we're scheduled in Virginia, um, and we went up there, and we did the interview. Asylum cases are not very easy to prove. There's five different things that need to be, if I have to fall into one of five categories, and it's just difficult to fall into any of those. However, we we did the interview and we came back and he told me, don't worry, Miss Suzo, we got there overnight. And then he went out swimming. He went to take a dip in the pool and I was busy going over my notes. So I called him and I was like, what, where have you been? He said, oh, you went to just swim. And I told him, aren't you worried? He told me, don't worry, it's going to be all right, Miss Susan. <laughs> I said, okay, meet me in my room in, <laughs> once you're dressed up. So he came back, we went over his case. The next morning we went over, we waited, we had the interview. A month later, I got the letter, it was an approval. Wow. Wow. I was happy I helped this young man because he was really young. I was happy with myself. I was like, yeah, I can do this. This was my real first, my first case well, I, um, right after I hung up my shingle. So I knew I could practice immigration law and that thing just... Took off from there. It took off from there. Wow. That's fantastic. Wow. I can see how passionate she is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's a great storyteller too. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, I always I meet very interesting people. I think everybody has a story. Oh, yes. and I want to hear a story. I do too. In my line of work too, you can imagine. Um, if you'll let everybody know, for one, where are you located? I'm located here in Buckhead. I work out of Peachtree Office Suites. Oh, my goodness. They are possibly the best landlords in the whole world. <laughs> and they, I've been with them for real, really as long as I've practiced law. They have given me very good support, starting from Day one. 1401 Peachtree, when they had a where they had a little law library. It helped me get along. So I'm here now at the Lennox Road location, 3355 Lennox Road, <laughs> Suite 600. <laughs> and, of yeah. course, you might check out my website, www.aallclaw.com Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Yes, Thanks was. for having yes, me. Yeah, and I think we actually have just a couple more minutes. Um, if any of our guests wanted to have a, have a discussion or have any questions for any of the other guests in the room, you're more than welcome to pitch in right now. What I, what I had uh, uh, several years ago, I kept seeing uh, people with... Um, uh, they get charged criminally uh, for the for the most mundane things, but then it would very quickly turn into a problem where we'd have to bring in an immigration attorney to uh, to keep them out because right away they bring them in for those hearings and all of a sudden it's a deportation situation. Um, I haven't done that in a few years, but 
but I, I did notice that and so it's very paramount for people that uh, have anything less than full United States citizenship to make sure they walk a very tight line and um, and stay on the good side of the law yeah that's true Ali and I was wondering when you were talking I was wondering are you beginning to meet those people with relations outside who need a with a succession plan involving people outside the U.S.? Uh, yes, actually, uh, in, in a variety of, of situations, we've uh, had uh, most recently Asian uh, clientele uh, who have quite a bit of uh, real property ownership in the United States. We create uh, entities to uh, to hold that property, but they need uh, help with uh, immigration status. So, as you both were talking, I was thinking about all these different intersections, as you pointed out, and from just kind of estate planning and thinking about intellectual property concerns. In particular, people with intellectual property have to consider what's going to happen to it when they die. And um, when Michael Jackson died a few years ago, there was a huge kind of there was litigation and everything over the the value of his estate and whether or not certain pieces of intellectual property should be considered. So for those people with businesses or those people who are creating, intellectual property can be really important there. And as you were talking about entertainers coming into the United States, creating all these things, there are just so many different intersections in the law and so many different things to think about. And it's also about just not uh, not uh, dying all the time, but just uh, an exit plan for the business. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lot of people yes, just want right. to pass that on and sell those uh, right. property yeah. rights that yeah. they right. have. And I believe, isn't it, isn't it correct, if you come in uh, with a million dollars of investment or if you create a million dollars and some jobs, six jobs minimum, I think, don't you get uh, cut in line on the immigration status? There is a different immigrant visa status for those. You're right. It could be sometimes it's $500,000 if you meet certain other requirements. So there is indeed some, um, a green card category for people who invest heavily in the U.S. And that actually has also offshoot, offshooted into securities law because of the implications of what kind of business are you investing in and mm. the way it works. So it's interesting. That's what I love that uh, Pro Business Channel gives the venue and Atlanta Legal Experts to have all these people come in and they think they're doing something separate. They want to just come in, be interviewed, and leave. But then they realize once they listen to the expertise around the table, wow, I can actually help this person. I've got a case that I don't know really how to handle. I can hand that to mm -hmm. somebody else and vice versa. And so they end up really getting a lot more out of the community just the of show. collaborative empowerment. Wow. That's, that's what pro business is about. Yeah. That's what we're about. And I think that's a great ending to our show today. My name is Emily Rowell with Peachtree Offices and this is Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. You can find all of the guests here today and all of their uh, bio and links to their websites at atlantalegalexperts.com. Thank you again for joining Emily Rowell and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio.